Hello, uh, welcome back, everybody. Um, we're back again, another episode, and uh, I've been quite busy actually. Um, as always, I'm joined by my uh, fellow modelers, Gordon, aka John, aka Three Sheets, aka Oracle. I don't know, pick a name with Gordon. It's um, there's so many, it's unbelievable. So um, today uh, we're going to call him Gordon because, uh, yeah, we're just going to go with that. So, Gordon, hello. How are you? I'm all right, Mark. Excellent. And uh, we'll talk a bit more in a minute about what you've been doing um, and so forth. And I'm also joined by Josh over the airwaves and broadband, and he's magically been beamed into my living room. Um, so we can uh, talk to Josh, who has become a bit of a 3D printing fanatic. Um, he's printing basically a life, it's almost a life-size um, robot of some sort, which looks it's very, very It's only two feet tall. It's only two feet tall. Come on. It's now. only two feet tall. Uh, yeah, those of you out there that have got a 3D printer... Only three feet tall. Now, I know that those of the, pe the people that are listening now that have got a 3D printer, they're rolling their eyes at that, only three feet tall. That that equates to about a million hours of printing. Um, mm, yeah, roughly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I printed something once that was, I don't know, the size of a dice, and it took like seven days or something. I'm, no, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but... There we go. Um, so there we are. And uh, no, we've got no special guest this week. Uh, we do have uh, Ken, Kenny, uh, Kenny Conklin from um, Hobby Link International. He will be coming on. Uh, now, I think he's next. Um, so he'll either be the next uh podcast you upload or the one after that i'm not exactly sure yet where it'll fall um but yeah he's coming on great guy um does a lot for the hobby uh he's an incredible bloke to speak to a very a huge amount of fun and we're really looking forward to getting him on here um so you know if you don't if you've never heard of him before um, I'd be surprised, but go to Hobby Link International. He broadcasts I don't know, twice a week, um, sometimes a bit more, I think. Uh, and, and, you know, subscribe to him. Uh, great stuff, but I'm not going to give it too much away because obviously we need to speak to him um, when he comes on. And um, so there we are. So we're going to just be casual this week, casual chit-chat for an hour or so and uh go from there so guys what have you been up to well, you start with josh and he's um frankenstein <laughs> believe it or not i'm i've i've been putting the guns together and i i mean that that's that's one of them i mean it, it's crazy what oh, i saw that yeah it's a that's about three feet tall on its own, isn't it? No, it's not that big. It it's only like a foot. We're talking about the gun, people. Thirteen 
It's only 13 inches long. I mean, come 13 on. 13 inches long. I've got a set of three guns that I printed for the Predator. Remember the Predator that we printed? Oh, yeah. And that those three took uh, about two hours to print, and they are the size of a finger, less. Okay. So um, you don't even want to know how long this took because uh, it's in two parts. Yeah, two parts. I want to know. <laughs> the front part took two days. Right, and and when he says two days, that's not two seven and a half hour shifts. Uh, for those that don't have a 3D printer, two days actually means two times 24 hours. And then the other half of the gun took four and a half days. So, yeah. and I even had one of them fail, so I had to print three of them. Oh, that's a nightmare. That, that's my oh. worst. Yeah, when it prints so much. But, I mean, really, for what I have here, I mean, I only used... A little over six rolls. Damn. And That's I might cool. have to print like a piece here and there out just because I forgot one. Is that six rolls for the whole thing? Or yeah, so far, yeah. Right. So you're looking at um what's that about sixty dollars? No, more like usually a roll will cost anywhere between twenty and twenty-five. Unless you find, find them on sale or you get the cheap stuff. Well, but, I get, um, I buy, I've been lucky. I'll be honest. I've been lucky. The last two rolls I've got have been Creality, uh, their stuff, their own stuff. And I got them for 12 quid a roll. Um, which is probably what about 20 bucks my cost. Yeah, I've, you know, when I said earlier about $10, I've worked it out wrong. Um, I've put the pound being more valuable than the dollar, and it's the is it the other way around? I think it's the other way around. Yeah, I, think, the, I, I don't know the exchange rate. so No, but I know, yeah, you're right. It, it, if it was 12 quid to me, it was probably about $16, $17 American. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so more, so more like about hundred and twenty dollars is, yeah, roughly. Yeah, that's what you're looking at for that, and then that that's just to print it. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine the level of work that's gone into smoothing it out. I haven't even gotten that far yet. I mean, I've done a couple pieces. Yeah. Um, like there's a front piece that I've found out gets hidden, so, but that's cool. And then there's the two shoulder things, but. If you set the settings up right, if you put filler primer over this, it'll all go away. What's this filler primer? Just regular filler primer? Filler, like automotive primer, filler primer for like body work. Right. I, I don't think P38 I've used that. P38 Arsipon. P38. Oh, that's that expensive stuff, though, and it? it's about 20, 20 quid a can or whatever it is. Well, yeah, I, I guess if you use the airbrush stuff, but if you, even if you get an aerosol can, I think it's three, four or five bucks here, I think, a can. Oh, no, it's about 20 I would need like eight cans to do this, but, you know, but that'll, that'll come down the road. I, I'm just trying to, like, next I'm going to be 
trying to figure out how to attach the arms, these two freaking cannons that I've got to put on here. Yeah. And then I'm going to try to figure out how to how big of a base I need for it so the robot yeah. won't rock. Yeah. On um what glue do you find is best for that? Because I when um I made a uh what was it called? Um Is it Lord? No, Harry Potter. I made Dobby. Uh, Dumble, Dobby. Dobby, that's it. Yeah. I made Dobby and there was quite a lot of heavy striations on it. And um, it took me quite some time to get rid of those. And then there was the problem with the glue. Um, I tried, Tet was out, but it wouldn't work with Tet. You couldn't glue it together with Tet. Um, super glue weren't brilliant either. So, uh, what did you use? So I, 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 I use two things. I use Weldwood contact cement, the original. Weldwood contact cement. It's one of the things, like if it's going to be a solid, solid thing and it's going to go together good, I'll use contact cement because it'll just, It'll weld that stuff together just fine. And so far for the most part, but then if I have a part that when I glue it together, I'm going to have to fill the line. Yeah. I use white Gorilla Glue. Ah, now that's interesting because I've got the brown stuff and um, I've only recently come across it. And I swear by it for most things now. I don't use it for model building at this level because it expands once you've put it on. It mm -hmm. sort of all puffs up. But if, but, if, but if you have a gap that you're yeah. going to have to take care of, use the Gorilla Glue, Gorilla Glue to fill in the seam a little bit. That way when you go to do the filler, you have something there to go against instead of just an open hole. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that's what I've been doing with some of the 3D prints. Because you get like I, – I, I'm not perfect at this 3D printing stuff. But every so often you'll get a part that like warps just a little bit. So you'll yeah. have a gap. I just use that Gorilla Glue. It'll fill it in a little bit. And then you take um, putty or contacts or whatever. The Tamiya putty. Yeah. Um, yeah. I use – I use – Bondo glazing and spot putty for the most part. We can't get that over here. You, you can from specialist car repair shops, Mark. All right. Excellent. I mean, it's a 3M product. I, have, I haven't had a problem with it eating any of the plastic or anything. So, but I mean, it does a really, really good job of filling in all the holes. Um, but it doesn't do a good job. If there's nothing there, so I kind of try to use the glue a little bit because it'll expand and it'll give something there to hold support, you know. And then you just got to, you know, do the sanding thing, which I'm not going to lie. I'm not great at, but I've gotten better over the years doing this. Yeah, you're exactly the same as me. I'm not great at um, a lot of these things, but, you know. Practice. Practice makes perfect. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I figure by the time I'm done with this project, it'll be, you know, next year fully. By the time I got it all painted and sanded and painted again, the base made for it, it it'll be next year sometime before I'm really, really yeah. done with it. I think, I think it's going to look uh, pretty spectacular. Uh, you know, if people that are watching want to see it, where can they go to have a look at it, Josh? I mean, um, well, there is the Sprucast page. I've been trying to put pictures of it up there. Yeah. Um, there's my own Facebook page, Rise Dem Designs. Um, I've been trying to show a little bit on my YouTube channel, and it's yeah. the same Rise Dem Designs. It matches with my Facebook page. Yeah. Um, I have an Instagram account. Um. But for the most part, it it I just try to show a little bit here and there on certain pages. So I'm sure people have been paying attention. I get a lot of comments on it when I do yeah. post stuff, especially after they start seeing some of the bigger forms go together. Yeah, yeah. so it's been it's been pretty cool. Yeah, I mean the thing is, there's so many. Because I normally try and put any relevant information underneath our link. But now I'm a member of so many different sites that, ah, oh, the list would be endless if you if you put down everywhere where you'd put a picture up. Yeah. So now I just try and stick to our, our own sites um, and any guests that's on, I put theirs up. Because uh, it was just getting a bit silly. Um, anyway, yeah, if you want to see, if you want to see Josh's uh, robot, and it is actually quite amazing. Uh, he's done all this on a three D printer. Um, I believe if you got the Ender one, the same as me. No, I have the CR ten. Oh, you've got the one above mine, haven't you? I've got the no. CR. You have the better printer. Oh, do I? So you have the smaller print bed. That's the yeah. only negative for you. Yeah. Mine's CR3. Is it CR3? Yeah, so Ender 3, mine is. And um, anyway, I'm just getting back to sorting mine out. Um, well, I've got it back together over on the counter there. It's all plugged in. I've just got to uh, level the bed, and um, then I can crack on and start doing some stuff. Um, as ever, my main gripe has always been designing my own stuff. That's what I really want to do, and that's where I'm struggling the most because I just can't get to grips with the software. So um, if anyone can uh, show me how to do that, I'd be eternally grateful. Uh, just make, get in contact with me. Uh, so we'll move on to Gordon now. Um and I know Gordon's been, he's done quite a lot. Uh, hey, Gordon, tell us what you've been up to. Well, I've finally got the uh, the weapons on the SU-35. Finally got all the painting done on it, the, uh, the yeah. camouflage. I've just that, got was, that was quite uh, an amazing build, that was, and I urge anyone that hasn't seen it, to go into the sprue surgery waiting room yeah, where there are 
Are there pictures up there, aren't they, Gordon? Not, not at the moment. All right. I've, I've been keeping it on the wraps, and then what I'm going to do is do a, an album. All right. Um, so, everyone, the thing I just said, ignore it. Um, just wipe that from your mind. Uh, Gordon hasn't done anything with any plane that I know of. There you go, Gordon. I've got it covered. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I've just got the uh, the head-up display to put on, uh, then glue the canopies down after I've painted them, and put the exhaust on, and it's finished. Brilliant. Seriously, so, do I need to edit? Do I need to edit that bit out? Nah. <laughs> because I didn't I didn't realise you was keeping up the wraps, and then I've gone and blurted it out to everyone. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It'd be a surprise, but. Uh, yeah, I've uh, took a, a step back from that. Yeah. We're getting a little bit OTT. <laughs> this has been on it so long. And yeah. I've, I've dug a kit out that I actually built back in the 90s. Yeah, this is nice, this is. I, I actually built back, I think it was about 92, 93, something like that. The... It was back then. It was the new release, new tool Revel, one thirty second scale Tornado GR one, the RF one. And uh, because of the Gulf War and stuff, I decided to do it in Gulf War markings. And this kit has followed me round, house to house to house to house, loft to loft to bedroom to loft, and all that the usual crap, right? And over a period of time, the paintwork's gone, the decals have gone, the paint's gone brown and stuff. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to dig it out and redo it. So I faced it out of the loft, brought it down, had a good look over it. I thought, yeah, I could do something with this. So uh, I went and dried sanded it to get all the, uh, <laughs> the surface imperfections off it, shall we say. Dust. Yeah, dust, cracked paint, cracked decals, yeah. you name it. And uh, I didn't take it right back to bare plastic, but uh, I managed to get a decent layer of paint left on it. Then I polished it up and started again. So I used the base paint that I was got left on it as a, like an undercoat. So I mixed up me, me desert paints and stuff, and I've started repaint it and at the minute i'm working on the uh the thrust reverses and the exhaust at the moment but there's a story about the uh paint as well isn't there oh yeah <laughs> yeah i was uh we were sat in a hangout one night weren't we yeah and uh why everybody was sitting there tinkering away doing the kits and stuff i um I mixed a batch of desert pink paint up, as they call it. And uh, it was quite entertaining because I'd got the original paint that the model was painted in because I was down at RF St. Athens when they were painting the tornadoes to go out to the Gulf. And uh, I got first first-hand experience shall we say of the actual paint so i knew roughly what where i was going with it and for saying i haven't made any for god knows how many years i've 
I've made a perfect cover patch. Right, so plus, I've got a panel that um, came off one of the tornadoes that crashed. He ran off the end of the runway. And so if he had an engine fade, the double engine fade on takeoff, and it just literally ran off the end of the runway, yeah. <laughs> into the sand. And uh, it got taken, well, after the war, it got brought back over here. And it got that, it got sent down to RF St. Athens to be um, dismantled and sold for scrap. And uh, I asked the uh, the guy, the scrap man who was coming to fetch it, if I could have a bit of the skin. So I got one of the access panels, and that's what I've been no, using to, to match my paint up. And uh, it's quite strange because uh, a certain manufacturer has just come out with uh, a brand of paint and it, that they're calling it RAF Desert Sand Desert Pink. And it's all I'm going to say is it's it looks very much like the stuff that I've made. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're we're not going to say um, who it is, obviously. Um, no. They they've got alphabetical letters for their name. Sorry um, mm -hmm. for that. And um, okay. Let's just say if Mark, Romeo, and Peter were the people that thought, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this, forget it. Just, um, just, just leave it, Mark, because there's yeah. certain things that can't be said and stuff. But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, 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 well, it's, it's like we've got a friend in the group and stuff. He's, uh, he's just on a tornado. Yeah, right. And I sent him a bottle of this new brand of paint down, and I sent him a bottle of my mixed paint down that he sat yeah. watching it do. Right. And he sprayed his aircraft with it and then started to patch it and fade it and stuff. And he sprayed the fuel tanks in uh, so I was in the competitor's core. And he messaged me, he says, Hey, look, it's, it's almost a perfect match. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost like they knew what colour to use. Yeah, it's yeah. it's strange how these things happen, but yeah, everybody goes on about oh, it's desert pink, it's desert pink. When the aircraft actually came out of the hangars, right, they were a sandy colour with a hint of pink, right. And when they were out in Iraq and Bahrain and stuff, right. The paint didn't fade like most paints do. When you get paint in the sunny weather and stuff, it lightens and it bleaches out. But this stuff didn't. It went darker. Because if you have a look at photographs of a lot of the desert uh, Operation Granby aircraft and stuff, you can see bright panels where it's been touched in with the original paint and it's hell of a lot lighter than the actual rest of the aircraft. Because the aircraft were painted in uh, what's it called uh, Artif alkaline removable temporary finish, and I was under the impression that the aircraft came back and you jet washed it off. Yeah, we tried jet washing it off. <laughs> jet washing it 
Jet was to touch it. Some of the aircraft ended up getting stripped back to bare metal, and, well, back, back down to primary coat, so they had to be really sprayed because the heat and the weather and stuff out there literally baked it on. Yeah, a bit like in, yeah, the ovens that you get in the car where uh, where they bake the bloody paint on similar sort of effect. Yeah, well, this is it. It's like when, when it all kicked off and stuff, they realised that the fuel tanks and this other. So they started putting the, the Hindenburg and the big fuel tanks off the Tornado F3 onto the GR1. But they were painted grey, the early ones. And then they started yeah. new ones from the factory delivered out to theatre. And they came over painted in grey and green. Um, certain powers of E says, that won't do. Now will it, lads? Right, you, 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 here's a wedge of money. Go to local DIY shop, hardware store, go buy me some paint. And yes. the colours of fuel tanks got painted in varied from magnolia, buttermilk, and mushroom. Oh, right. All from a well-known paint range that's got a dog for the logo. Because that's the nearest colours you could get. Got a dog for a logo. Yeah. Begins with D. I'm thinking of bloody HMV. <laughs> no, paint manufacturer. Oh, oh, yes, of course. Oh, God. Stupid man. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. So uh, t teams were handed up uh, a, a two and a half litre to a Magnolia and, and, and the paint yeah, brush. Yeah. Two-inch paintbrush and told to go paint the fuel tanks. No, oh, I can't imagine that'd go on very well at all. It doesn't oh. go on bloody walls very well, and that's what it's invented for. Oh, <laughs> this, this, this is it. It, it ranged from matte finish to satin finish to gloss finish. <laughs> yeah, you can get their hands on. Oh dear. Oh well. But um, yeah, I urge you to go and have a look at. Uh, Gordon's the SU that he built, which is um, that is something else. That really is something else to look at. That uh, what what is that? Um, it's is it digital camo on that? Oh, it's the uh, SU thirty five uh, demonstration aircraft in splinter camouflage of uh, a blue gray, a dark blue gray black colour, uh, white and a medium grey. Yeah, splinter. Splinter yeah. camera, that's it. It really is um, something else to look at. It's great. Well, this was it. While I was doing the research on it, I found out that it's no good weather. It only lasted a few months and it crashed. Oh, right. I didn't know that. Yeah. But I didn't either. No. <laughs> <laughs> It took you longer. It took you longer to build that than it did um, for them to crash it. Well, this is it. I spent about, about six weeks or so digging photographs up and stuff of it, and mm. this, that, and the other. And it took me, I think it was about three weeks to mask it off because I sprayed it one colour first, and I wanted to leave it for a couple of days for the paint to on before you put masking tape on it because. I didn't want to peel it off again in case it yeah. was painted one colour, leave it for a couple of days, mask it off, paint the second colour on, 
leave it for a couple of days and then put your third color on and yeah it was very time consuming yeah yeah i can imagine so um anyway that brings me to uh what i've been doing um and i would i've been working on three aircraft um which is now only one so very briefly um i've been working on the hawk uh t is it called t1 hawk the train um i've brought it down to the camera to show everyone which i realize is pointless um uh, but yeah that went well um i've also uh built up the p51d mustang the north american mustang um Great little kit, but um, landing gear, Gordon. That's what we were well, talking about. Landing yeah, gear. We were on about it the other night, weren't we? Yeah. So we'll, we won't answer that in a minute because it's going to become relevant in a second or two. Um, yeah. So I built up the uh, P51 um, and I used Humbrol silver paint for it. Unfortunately, the Humbrol silver paint is, uh, I can't remember the exact number, I think it's Chrome uh, 110. Um, it has uh, a large pigment in its paint. The, the pigment's very large in it. And I said to Gordon, it's not unlike, you remember the old test cards you used to get on the TV when the TV shut down for the night and it was yeah. just like snow? Um, just speckled black, white, grey speckles all over the screen. It um, it looked like that close up. Um, so initially, I was quite happy with it, um, but then I got a bit more despondent with it. I put a I put a picture up of it in some groups, and uh, one of the groups got back. Uh, and, and they said basically, I was told it looked like uh, it looked like an aeroplane wrapped in was it gaffer tape? Yeah, yeah, an aeroplane wrapped in gaffer tape. And um, I thought, wow, yeah, that's harsh, <laughs> but true, it did look bad. Um, it you know, it wasn't until somebody had pointed that out, they'd said, I, I knew. You know, in the back of my head, I knew it weren't right. Um, and it was just one of those things. Once somebody had said, yeah, it does look, it looks utter shit, then you realised. So I sanded it all back. I put a uh, AK Extreme Metal coat over it, um, which didn't do a great job, but, um, you know, it was better than it had been. Um and I left it at that. Really, I became a bit despondent with it then. Um, and it did. It's. It has been in the bin once or twice, but it's made it back out. Anyway, the main uh, event, as it were, was a P sixty one C, which I got bought for me by uh, my very good friend Gordon. Um, and he bought me the P61C Black Widow. I've thoroughly enjoyed every single step of building this kit. 
it's been the whole time I've been modeling, it's probably been right up there as one of my most favorite builds. Um, I know when, when Gordon bought it, I I think I'd it'd come up on a site and I'd seen it. I told him about it and I said that it was a kit that I was after. And I'm so grateful to you, Gordon, for buying it for me because it really is has been an enjoyable kit. And I've had many good hours out of this, and I still am. So um we put the P well, I put the P51 together. P61, sorry, getting mixed up. And um, I wanted it to look as... I wanted to do the model justice um, because, uh, obviously, Gordon's been out and bought it for me. I didn't just want to put it together and slap some paint on it and that be it. I really wanted to make it look... Um, I wanted to put the effort into it. So... Um, for the first time, I'd done an awful lot of research before I started on the kit. Um, I got tips from Gordon because uh, his, his knowledge on these planes is amazing. And um, we decided after we were talking one night, we decided we were going to go with a primer on the bottom. Then we were going to put a silver... Um, not silver, but like a dull aluminium uh, coat then would go down next, followed by – no, I've got it. I've got it the wrong way around, Gordon. Oh, he's gone. Um, followed by XF4, which is like a, a yellow-green sort of colour, like um, – I can't remember what the exact uh, title was. And that, that went on next. In between these, there was hairspray put on. I just used uh, Tesco's cheap hairspray. And uh, the plan was to then put the final top colour on, which we'll come to in a minute. Uh, Gordon, was it on, on the, when I put this together, was it the silver first and then the XF4 or the other way around? Well, you put a, a grey primer coat on it first, then you painted it dull aluminium. Yeah, and then the Zincro, uh, a colour color that was close to zinc chromate primer. Yeah, that was it. That's what I was after, one that was close to zinc chromate, and we got the XF4. Yeah, and with then, the hairspray in between. Yeah, hairspray in between. And then it came to the top colour. Now then, this is where I learned quite a lot because uh, I'd got the – so bearing in mind, I've got the photos in front of me of this plane, and it's fairly badly, um, well, abused, basically. it's I mean, it's been in a war. It's not um, been in a showroom. And uh, it's black. Basically, the plane is black. Now, ordinarily – if I'd have not had any input whatsoever, I just would have painted it black. I would have gone to the black Vallejo or the black Tamiya and just put that in and sprayed it. Fortunately, I'd got some good advice. Um, and what we needed was a variety of blacks with some blue in there as well. So... I went with, uh, initially, I got the two blacks mixed up. So I used NATO black and I used rubber black. 
Now, bear with me while I remember which way round I put them first. To begin with, I put, I think it was Rubber Black down and then NATO Black was going on the top, but I got them the wrong way round. You want to put the darkest one down first. And I think I put the wrong one down and I had to go back and swap them over and put the NATO down first and then the Rubber Black went down as the center panels, and so on. Um, from there... Okay, so why why, why is that important, the colors? Because um, you can't have... True black and true white are very... Now, anyone that's done photography would understand this. Um, you can't really have them. Um, true black and true white. Gordon, help! <laughs> help! <I'm> yeah. Drowning. <laughs> Basically, Josh, what he was trying to achieve was looking black but not being black. If you follow, right? So what we did, we went through what paints Mark had actually got in his paint collection. Right, we picked three or four colours out, didn't we? Yeah. And. What Mark was trying to achieve was was that faded, battered look. So I said to him, paint it, get your three, three or four colours that you've got and paint the kit in the darkest of the colours to start with, working to the lightest. Yeah. Right? That's what he should have done. But he started with the second darkest one. But it yeah. made no difference because in the end, it's worked out really well and he's done a cracking job of it for saying he's not done uh, a stressed aircraft technique to the extent that he's done that he's done a brilliant job of it thank you gordon that's uh i appreciate that because uh, uh i mean gordon knows that my my thing is not um i i, I don't do uh stressed or weathered aircraft um I just, I've never been able to do them well. So even well, while I've got Gordon telling me, yeah, he's saying that he's telling me that it looks good. I'm looking at it thinking, oh, no, it doesn't. It looks awful to me. But um, I have, you know, it, and even well, though he was telling me this, it wasn't until, you know, I started seeing the pictures of these well, aircraft. I, I sent you a load of photographs through that I got of yeah. the battered, right? But you were still in that mindset that, no, nah, no, nah, it don't quite look like this. And then you went and did a little bit of research yourself and found one photograph and you goes, wow, that looks like my model. Yeah, yeah, that was exactly it. Because i tell you what, Gordon, those pictures you said you sent me, I never received. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I can show you my messenger list. I never yeah. received any, um, unfortunately. So that's that's what happened there. Um, and Gordon's absolutely right. I was looking through some pictures um, of the, the P61C and this picture flashed up in front of me. And I'm not kidding you. It almost looked like somebody had snapped a picture of my model and stuck it in the sky and... Um, I was just amazed. Um, I got Angela, my partner, to come along, and I said, uh, what do you reckon to that 
kit. I showed her my kit. I said, what do you reckon to it? And she was like, well, she didn't know what to say, really. And uh, and then I showed her the photo. I said, that's the real plane. Um, and she said, oh, yeah, wow, that's that's great. She said, but you've missed, uh, you've missed a bit along the back there. She said, the boom arms uh, are too clean. That was it. The boom arms hadn't got enough. And, uh, yeah, so I had to go and adjust them boom arms. And, um, yeah, so... And, uh, you know, there's so many times I sanded the finish back. I um, At one point, I got uh, squared. I'd patched, I'd, I'd masked off squares, random squares, and painted them in a completely different black. So it looked like um, it'd been shot at, uh, and then the, the mechanics had come along, and there'd been a hole, and they'd put a bit of tin or whatever over it and welded it down. Um, I even went back, Gordon. I didn't tell you this, but I even went back and put the blinking rivets down around them squares. Um, but then I I put smoke down over the top of the the panels that I'd done, and it's it's virtually hidden them, so you can't see that work now that I've done. I'll show you that in a minute, Gordon, you know, when we go on thing, it's they're, they're totally hidden. You can see the, where I put the rivets down, but the, um, the Tamiya paint seems to have melted the, the Leo stuff away. And it's, you know, it's just not there anymore. So, which is a bit of a disappointment. This is like, I was trying to explain to you, right? They were well used and stuff. And if an aircraft got shot up, they couldn't just go to a sheet metal shop and buy a piece of aircraft grade aluminium. So they would go and pick, uh, find an aircraft to crash where they got a big sheet of aluminium that they could cut out. And yeah. They would pieces out of damaged aircraft to patch up with a battle damage repair of other aircraft. So you, you could have a, a piece of uh, extra dark sea blue metal. And you'd have a row of shiny rivets around the outside because the rivets yeah. are Yeah, you know, that's an idea. I never thought of doing that. I've done the rivets around some of them, and I could, if I could get a small enough brush, just dab the... You can buy rivets as well, can't you? You can buy scaled-down rivets. On a decal sheet, yeah. Some, yeah. some of them are all right. Some of them are. They're a bit missing. But, but the... It, it's like that picture of the tornado in the first golf hall that I showed you where it's got a hole in the tail where they patched it up. Yeah. But one of the biggest problems I had, and this is what we were trying to think about earlier, was when it came to the landing gear. And I've had this problem not only on this kit, but on the... In fact, I'll be honest with you, I struggle with this on nearly every aircraft kit I come across, and it's the landing gear. And I know there's going to be people out there that can sympathise with this. I know there's going to be people out there that will relate to this and say, yeah, I've had exactly the same problem. Um, putting the landing gear together, I, you know, I'm always trying to be careful. Um but inevitably, at some point during the latter stages of the build, 
the landing gear snaps or brakes or bends or warps or whatever you like. I've had them all. So me and Gordon were talking about this and Gordon, obviously being our Oracle, um, had an excellent way of describing it. And what the problem is, is the fact that when they scale everything down, they scale everything down to 172nd or 148th, which is great. But they also scale down the landing gear segments to the same sort of level. Mm. And it's plastic. So when you scale it down, it no longer has the strength to really hold um, the weight of some of these planes. Now, granted, some of these kits that I'm putting together, the landing gear failing has been a fault of mine. I, you know, maybe most of them have. But um, as I've got better and better with my modelling, I'm starting to think that some of these are just, you know, you cut the landing gear out and it's so flimsy. Um I even bought a metal landing gear for this kit um, that I'm putting together, the P61. And it uh, even the metal landing gear was a bit uh, iffy. You know, you could bend it quite easily, um, yeah. which was disappointing. It sh- I was hoping it would be a bit stronger than it was. Um, but, uh, Gordon, you explain what you explained to me because you, you well, sound... This is what we're on about, weren't we? Right. If you build a kit, right, and you build the undercoat to scale, right, <clears throat> yes, it looks nice, it's in scale. But the downside is because it's in scale, some of them, like the your Mustang and the Spitfire, uh, the Focker Wolf, the 109, if they build the undercarriage in scale thickness, they're very flimsy, not very robust. Tap it slightly and you'll snap the leg off. Yeah. Right? So, what a lot of manufacturers do, right, they'll slightly overscale the undercarriage legs a little bit to give it a little bit more strength, right? But some manufacturers will overscale it that much, it looks totally wrong, right? And then you start getting people slated the kit saying, well, the undercarriage doesn't look like because it, 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 the legs are too big. Well, what do you want to do? Do you want to scale up, scale, and tap it and knock the legs off or whatnot or do you want something a little bit overscale that will stand the test of time so to speak yeah that, that, that was the problem with your mustang because the the uh the undercarriage units in the kit was to, to scale they were very flimsy and very weak yeah you tap them Maybe down with a bit of tet and tet just dissolved the plastic yeah, it does. It almost eats through that uh, first section. Yeah. Okay, but isn't that really some of the reason why a lot of people just don't do the landing gear, though? Yeah, there's there's quite a few model makers that I know that they refuse to do their aircraft on the ground. They always do them in flight. They put a pilot in them and stuff. Right? Yeah. It's like, I've got one that I'm might be building next and that's the uh, the mig 23 the flogger right if you look at that undercarriage in the kit and you go 
wow, that's going to be very flimsy. Yeah. And the number of people that I've seen that have built the kit have all said how the weak point with the kit is the undercarriage. But, yeah, there is a company out there that does a set of white metal ones, but they're not much better than the kit parts. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm trying to paste down a set of bronze uh, undercarriage legs for it because sort of, the guy that's made the bronze ones he's made them in one piece instead of three so he's cast them out of solid bronze right in one complete unit per leg instead of six parts per unit like the kit so by the time you just plug it into the kit it's hell of a lot stronger but some kits you can't build them on undercarriage because they're just too flimsy so you've got to stick them on a pole I yeah. don't believe in. I mean, that 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 was that was the whole thing about what we were going to discuss was um, building undercarriage versus not building undercarriage. Because I said to you, I would never build. Uh, I would never buy a plane and build it in flight because to me that was I don't know thirty percent of the kit you're losing out on straight away. And and that was when I said to you that would be a great topic for our sprucast because, yeah. um, as you say, there's some people that would uh, be happy to build it like that. So surely I'm think just just I'm just thinking here. Uh, maybe I'm going a bit crazy, but maybe if the uh, uh, manufacturers built like a version that didn't have none of the landing gear in you know flight only could be stamped on the front of the kit and i don't know maybe they'd get it a bit cheaper so then for people that didn't want to build a landing gear they they would uh, save a bit of money i'm not in that category i'm just thinking of other people yeah well this this is it at the moment i can name quite a few kits that the undercarriage are a little bit flimsy on shall we say right so if you were to build it in flight <laughs> you've got a good week's worth of filling and scribing and sanding and stuff just to try and get the undercarriage doors to fit in right so at least if the kit manufacturer made the undercarriage doors fit a little bit better <laughs> well, KH, kh comes straight to mind there am i Oh, it's, it's, it's like this flogger, right? The undercarriage looks weak, right? So if you build it in flight, because there's somebody on YouTube and stuff that we know that's actually building the kit, and he's building it in flight, right? And he says the kit's gone together pretty well. But trying to put the main undercarriage doors together has been a nightmare. Because yeah. it just don't fit. It's like the... Um, The, the Jaguar we were on about the other night, right? It's a cracking kit if you display it with all the panels open. Yeah. But as soon as you decide to close all the access panels up, where the electronics are, the engine bay and stuff, it doesn't fit together very well. Yeah, I know, because I think when they, when they put them kits together, they expect people to want to display them. And, yeah. and to be honest, they're right, aren't they? Most of the time... 
most people if if you sell if if you sell one kit and it's just the the aircraft just the aircraft nothing else and then yeah. next to it you sell the same kit but it's got loads of hatches open showing electronics and avionics and all that you can pretty much guarantee that that kit's going to sell more than the other one but you'll get people that will still want to close up certain panels um, rather than display them. So I, I just think they put more effort in because they expect the kits to be opened up. Well, this, this is it. I've got a certain uh, F-14D Tomcat to build, right? The, uh, the latest one on the market that everybody's been singing and dancing about, right? And... I thought, yeah, I'm going to do that in uh, the Badge Hunters. Been launched off a catapult. All right? Right. Now, that means dropping the nose leg, putting the flaps and slats down and everything. Right? Yeah, great. But the cockpit's really detailed. Yeah. And by the time you've shut the canopy down and stuck a couple of pilots in it, you're not going to see that. And let's so, face it, the cockpit is... It's almost like one of the main features on any yeah. building kit. The cockpit gets as much attention as um, when it when it comes to building jets. It's the cockpit, the the burner cans at the back. They get a lot of attention. Mm. What? So what's the difference? What, what, if you were wanting to actually do one that has landing gear, would you be better off getting a smaller plane or a bigger plane? I think you'd be better off with a bigger plane. That's my personal opinion. I That's not- done a lot. I've only done a little bit here and there. So yeah, because uh, I, I think basically the smaller you get, the smaller the scale of the landing gear. So you're going to be going down in size. On, on that, uh, what, what they give you to uh, work with. Um, but some people will argue that it's irrelevant because it, even though you've got a slightly bigger landing gear on the bigger planes, on the larger planes, you've, you've got all that extra weight as well. So, um, my, although my personal opinion is get bigger... Um, I don't really have uh, a correct answer for that. It's, you know, at the end of the day, it's a matter of choice. My advice would be if you've got a kit that you really want to buy and it's got a landing gear, I would heavily suggest that you go out and buy um, a metal landing gear set at the very least. Um, if you can get a bronze one, like Gordon says, get a bronze one. They're much stronger. Um, but, yeah, that's that's what I would suggest, minimum, um, if, if you really want to get a small one. And, and that's what I've done with um, with the P60, 61. I can't remember what it is. I'm bloody building now. Yeah, the P61C, I've got the metal landing gears for that. Um if I get it, it's like this tornado, right? The the biggest fault with it, well, one of the faults with it is 
it's the front nose leg and the pins where you put your wheels on. Yeah. Right. They're a little bit thin. Right. But there is aftermarket undercarriage for this tornado, for this kit. Right. But now, if I buy a kit now, I'll buy have a look at it. Before I even start building it, the first thing I look at is undercarriage. Yeah. Is, 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 is the undercarriage going to be old, up to old in the weight? Because some kits you've got to put a nose weight in. Yeah. So kit right and it's is that plastic undercarriage going to be sturdy enough to hold the weight of the kit when it's built right if not what alternatives have i got right and sometimes you can find that you can't get a replacement undercarriage for it so the only option you've got then is to cut the pin off and drill and put a piece of brass rod in which is what i end up having to do most of the time anyway just, yeah. to stop the, just to stop the wheels coming off. Yeah, it's very disappointing when you've got a bad um, landing gear. Very disappointing. I mean, I I bought um, I bought a landing gear kit for this, um, and let's just say it was slightly narrower than what I was led to believe. Um, so I had to make some modifications to it and I had to put some shims in either side of where the uh, landing gear should have slotted in because it was about two mil um, narrower than where it needed to be, weren't it, Gordon? It was a little bit, yeah. it, well, it was quite a bit shorter. But yeah. um, I've managed to sort it out. Um, just got to glue it in now, basically, and... Fingers crossed. Well, this was it. You bought a set of metal undercarriage off a certain lots of yeah. site, and if you got it, was for your kit when it came. It said actually and clearly said on the label when you got the undercarriage yeah. that it was for the Great Wall kit, which meant it was too narrow. Yeah. So we yeah. had to do a little bit of jiggery pokery and a few shims here and there, and we managed to get it so it fits now. Yeah. And um, it doesn't look too bad neither. No, in my defence, um, when I purchased it, it actually said Hobby Boss on there. It said for a, um, for a HB kit, um, which to everyone is Hobby Boss. Uh, and then I bought it, it came out. I noticed straight away the size didn't look right. Uh, so I went on to the site to ask a question. And uh, the first thing I was confronted with was uh, a message, eBay telling me that the seller had changed the um, listing. And I went through the listing, and sure enough, yeah, he changed the listing, and now it just read for um, for great for GWH only. That's what it said. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'm not going to get any joy there because uh, straight away he's going to say, you've read it wrong. That's what he's going to say. Um, But fortunately for me, I mean, Gordon had sent me the original link. um, And although I deleted that, I I mean, Gordon, you saw the original link and it said uh, Hobbit Cross. Yeah. So... Anyway, I mean, this is not about, it's not about eBay or 
the fact that somebody sold me the wrong thing, you know, I've that's fair enough. You know, I'm not worried about that now because I've made some shims. I've got the uh, the the wheels all sorted out. I've sanded bits down, so I'm I'm going with those. Um, by the time I got anything sorted with the guy, it's just a waste of time. Um, so I've gone with those. Um, it's looking quite good. I'm pleased with it. Um, I'm coming up close to putting decals on. Um, and then, yeah, and then I think once the decals are on, I've just got to put my final top coat on. Um, I don't think there's anything else. Is there, Gordon? I've not missed anything. No, you're just getting close to putting the decals in. You weather and blend them in to match the rest of it. And yeah. Case of finishing it off. Yeah, so it's been one of the longest um, kits I've uh, built and painted. Um, but Gordon's been my mentor throughout, and uh, I'm very pleased with the results. So, uh, yeah, if you've got any questions on stuff like that, then forward them to Gordon, not to me, because... <laughs> um, to be honest, if you send me a question, I just ask Gordon. <laughs> it, Mark, the bus driver. Sorry? Mark, the bus driver. Just throw Gordon underneath the bus. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm not throwing him under the bus. He, he's got, he, he knows everything. Um, and I'm just saying, if people come up to me and they ask me a question, I'll go away and I'll go away and say, yeah, I'll have to think about that. I'll let you know. I'll go to Gordon and say, Blah blah blah, and he'll tell me. He'll say, "Yeah, well, you got to do this, you got to do that." And then I'll go back to the person. Yeah, you got to do this, you got to do that. And they walk off. Um, and uh, yeah, I, sorry, Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> I take your glory sometimes. I, I, I can just see it next week in the uh, the Spruecast Facebook page. A list of questions as long as you're off. Yeah. 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 But, um, and I've, I've blown my own bloody story now. I've blown my own intelligence. <clears throat> Never going to be able to answer a question again now without everyone thinking that I've gone to you first. <laughs> but there you go. So anyway, that's that's where I got. That took quite a long time to go through us three tonight, didn't it? Mm. Um, I didn't even touch upon the sponge. I tried this sponge technique for the first time. Uh, it's not something I've done before. Are we talking but, about models or something else? No, uh, models. I went down to, oh, I can't remember what the name of the shop is. But they were selling these modeling sponges for two quid. Um, and they're basically what sort of sponge is that, Gordon? It's um the one that you ended up pulling a piece off was a piece of natural sponge. Yeah. So basically you get a chunk of sponge. Um, it's about the size of a small mug. And and you get it, and basically what you do is you uh, pull a piece off about the size of a, let me just think now, 
the size of the bottle cap of a ammo mig paint thing or a Vallejo paint um, paint bottle. You know those little 12 mil? Are they 12 mil? Hold on. Yeah. Let me just have a quick look. Uh, the little ones, yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. 17 mil bottles. So you're looking for a bit of – tear a bit of foam off about the same size as the bottle cap on there. Yeah, that's about right. And then actually I'll tear that in half again. So you've got two little pieces then of different um, dimensions. So then you get a pair of – and I'll, this is Gordon's advice I'm giving you now um, – inverse tweezers. And uh -huh. you pick up your one half of the sponge. Now, why I've told you to do two is because when you start dabbing this on, if you just use one, you will end up with a, like a repeating pattern. People will see. When you stand back, people will start to notice that some of the patterns are the same. Even if you try and mix it up and move it around a bit, they look the same. So what you've got to do is you've got to change between the two and you'll get a different pattern all the time. And it, it look much more natural that way. So once you've got it, pick up the piece you're going to use in your inverse tweezers, dab it in your paint. Um, now, there's two ways you can do. You can either go straight to the worst affected areas you think they're going to be and very, very lightly touch it on the surface around the edges. And then as the paint wears down, you can go back and put more and more on in different areas and mix it up a bit until you've used all the paint. If that's too much, you can use some tissue Get rid of the excess paint off the sponge and then go in and do very small sections at a time, dabbing it, uh, changing the sponge, putting some more on. Uh, you really don't want to be going for uh, – you don't want it everywhere. If you it's put it – like a bit like dry brushing. You dab it on a bit of tissue. Yeah. To walk off so you've got a little bit of paint left and tap it nice and gently because less yeah. is more. Yeah, exactly. Um, and obviously, you can't see what I've got on the screen at the moment, but I'm just showing people. Um, and, and basically, yeah, you're just gently tapping it, moving it around all the time. Because if you just tap it in the same position, da -da 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 -da, you'll end up with something like a zebra crossing. It will stand out a mile away. Um, trust me, I know this is true you'll be able to see it and it will look odd. So you've got to try and make it look as natural as possible. Um, so you need to really mix up that uh, where, where you put it and how you put it down. When you're finished, you'll be surprised at how well it looks. Um, and to other people, it will look uh, better than... Even you probably realise. And that's uh, that was the sponge technique that I used. Yeah. 
it, it's quite effective for giving uh, chip paint effects. Yeah. And you don't have to be restricted to the silver scratch metal approach. You could use it for smoke. Um, you could use a uh, – so if you used rubber black, for example, you could use it for smoke coming along the engine exhausts. Um, you could have that sort of – or you could have uh, oil, um, oil deposits – there's so many possibilities on this particular model on the p61 i used it for uh, metal and also for the green um zinc chromate look that i wanted to get yeah, you did your first pass with the zinc chromate didn't you yeah uh, you went over again with the smaller bit of sponge with just a touch of silver aluminium on it yeah yeah the only the only way that i went wrong during my process was i put the hairspray on and then i put the black on and i too many too too much black um in different shades but i you know i ended up i uh, put too much on basically and uh when i put the water on to chip it i wasn't getting any success yeah, you didn't put nice light coats on. You put an ham-fisted one on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. I did. I, uh, you know, I just uh, overdid it. And uh, but it's it's turned out okay. It has turned out okay, fortunately. Um, anyone wants to see it, they go onto the sprue surgery waiting room, and it will be in there. It's not in there right now as we record this, but it will be in there by the time you're listening to this. And hopefully by then it'll have wheels as well. Um, maybe even a background. Who knows? So, there we go. That's um, anything else anyone wants to mention? I think we've uh, we've done well to consider we were winging it. Mm-hmm. For the most part, yeah. Works out great. Yes. Um, don't forget, we've got Kenny coming along. Um, in uh, Was that next week? Um, no. Not Cochran. Well, anyway, he's coming on soon. Um, Josh has told me, but I've forgotten again, as ever. Got the brain of a goldfish. Hmm. Um, yeah. Just, uh, what is it? They reckon they've got 10 seconds or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thanks everyone for coming in and listening. I'm going to go and carry on doing this. And, uh, I look forward to speaking to you all again next time. So, uh, Goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Bye. Arriva. Oh, no, we're not doing that, are we? No, because the last time. <laughs> um, au revoir. Au revoir. <laughs>